Welcome back to the Lawn and Landscape Radio Network. I'm assistant editor Jimmy Miller. As a little programming note, I wanted to tell you up front, we didn't do this podcast. This interview with Josh Ferguson is done by Snow Magazine's Mike Zawacki, another editor here at GIE Media. Lawn and Landscape is a sister publication of Snow Magazine, so occasionally we share. Anyway, if you like what you hear, head on over to snowmagazineonline.com. Okay, on to the show. Throughout the industries, uh, contractors are uh, looking to get a jump. If not, they've already started on addressing and, and shoring up their winter service contracts for winter 2020-21. And you and I were talking previously that there are some things that uh, contractors really need to be aware of, especially since you know contractors um, in the past have focused in on being uh, uh, very risk-minded when it comes to slip and fall. Uh, but you're suggesting too that um, with the um, the warning, at least, uh, if not some in some uh, cases, predictions of a second COVID surge taking place maybe in the fall or throughout the winter, that this is also something contractors need to keep in mind as they shore up their contracts for this winter. Thank you so much for having me back. I, I appreciate the time and, and opportunity, um, and I think you are are right on where you're referencing that uh, the snow and ice management professionals are risk managers. And so in the same way that the individual contractors, but probably more significantly, uh, the ASCA has, has gone about to create uh, industry uh, standards and certifications uh, to make sure that contractors understand the protocols to document their in-event service, uh, the same uh, in, in order to protect themselves for a, a potential claim down the road for a slip and fall or a property damage claim. They need to keep their eye on the ball relative to the risk exposures um, for a future wave of this pandemic or some other um, major impact in, in their business flow. So um, there are a number of ways that we can certainly do that and, and a huge portion of that is going to be incorporating contract language, either in a new contract if they're negotiating, or if it's a multi-year contract that's already in place, whether they can consider doing an addendum to the existing contract. Um, it sounds like this is, you know, to put this new language in and to address these new issues, it sounds like it uh, would be relatively easy with a new contract. Is it difficult if you're already in the middle of a multi-year contract to go back to the client and say, hey, we need to put some new language in to protect me? And how, how do you suggest going about that? Yeah, from a tactical standpoint, um, I think there are benefits to both sides to have some revised or additional language to protect the parties as a result of a pandemic. So it, it is likely going to be a bit of a give and, give and take just like negotiating anything else that uh, is in an existing contract. You obviously want it to benefit you the most as the contractor, but if you have to give a little bit to get some additional protection on your side, you know, that's something that you may have to do. Um, and, and whether it's an addendum to the contract or it's a new contract language, this is certainly not an exclusive list, but I think some of the things we're really talking about here are considerations on the pricing terms, um, determination clauses, 
and the force majeure or act of God sections are the ones that immediately jump out at me that could really um, impact what a contractor can and can't do, um, both in terms of the actual work and then getting paid for their services or paid for the contract terms. Um, is, are the sections that you really want to be keeping an eye out for right now. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate a little more on, on what you're thinking of or the issues that are the language that they want to be keeping in mind with regard to pricing terms and termination and force majeure? Sure, absolutely. Um, I, you know, we'll work from a, sort of the order you and I both just put it in for yeah. no particular reason. But um, in terms of pricing terms, uh, there's a couple different aspects to that. Uh, one aspect is the strong consideration for contractors um, on the seasonal contract. Um, and, and obviously, if for some reason there is an additional wave of this pandemic that then shuts down businesses, um, or, or again, a future, uh, a future uh, issue that, that could impact businesses like this, um, a seasonal contract may protect a contractor um, if the con if if the property owner or property manager no longer needs the service, obviously the per event or per, per push contract um, isn't going to allow you to continue to accumulate a, a monthly income from that property. But if you if you if you prearrange for a seasonal contract with payments uh, monthly, that may provide an income stream or income source. Mm -hmm. um, and then relative to actually how that is paid, you want to make sure that's locked in regardless of whether there is um, an act of God such as this. And that's going to roll into some of the force majeure uh, language. Um, and and we'll talk about, uh, you know, s some other ways the force majeure uh, can impact you in a, in a minute. Okay. Um, relative, to, relative to the termination clauses, which we sort of had a second in the line, that's a that's a two-way street, obviously, and that's something that maybe both parties are going to be interested in. So you can see from a contractor perspective that they want to continue to service the property if the property is open or not. You want to protect yourself with contract language in there that's talking about the fact that um, as long as the events are triggered, you will continue to service it regardless of whether the businesses are, um, are at full capacity, limited capacity, anything like that to protect in these scenarios but you also as a contractor want to carve out a scenario where um, both in the termination clauses but also in the force majeure language if you are unable to complete the services as a result of um, as a result of the pandemic or any act of god that yeah you're not going to be held in breach if there's particular violation terms that may hurt you mm -hmm. because we can imagine a scenario uh, where contractors are down, uh, down men, mm -hmm. uh, down laborers, um, as a result of a pandemic that looks like what we already had, or, or you know, God forbid, even worse. Um, you don't want to be stuck in a scenario where, where you are the one that's in breach of the agreement because you're unable to properly service the property. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this: When um, will percent of uh, season? Uh, impact some of this language as well, or should you address, you know, um, percent of season? And what I mean by that is if um, you see some of these, this new language, you know, if you build it into your contract and it kicks in in, say, you know, November, December, that's different for a contract. And then let's say it's delayed and doesn't kick in until, like we saw with this recent stretch, it didn't kick in until early March. 
at that point, you could argue that, you know, a good percent of the season's already over. Should there be some consideration for percent of season um, in this contract language? Sure. Um, again, we, the contractors are risk managers and, and, and myself and other attorneys that are focused on the industry. Um, obviously we, we come from even more of a risk, maybe averse perspective because we see what that looks like mostly in litigation. Mm -hmm. And so from that side, the legal recommendation would be to do whatever you need to do in your negotiations to get those payments started earlier in the contract. Mm -hmm. And so if from our perspective, if that means in order to secure that as uh, as a as a quid pro quo or give and take from a property owner, property manager, you would have to take I don't know, less, a, a slightly less, a smaller dollar figure or something else to get that cash flow in earlier, it, it may again protect you from, would you rather collect 95 cents on the dollar and start to get paid earlier or have a potential collection of the bigger dollar figure, but the whole contract is voided and you don't get any of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really, you know, where you sit on uh, on a spectrum of how kind of risk aggressive you want to be. And from our perspective, we'd rather ensure that you're 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 getting as much as you can. So I'd rather make sure it started early. Mm -hmm. Very good point. Great. Um, what are some of the other gray areas uh, in, in these in in this that contractors need to be aware of? You know, you're gonna again. This is this is not a one way conversation. Right. Uh, property owners and property managers are obviously dealing with with uh, dealing with uh, this pandemic. And it's a time where they are internally uh, having probably similar conversations. So while we're talking about being proactive about this, even if a contractor feels like they're in a good position relative to their contract language or feels comfortable with what they're doing, they need to be aware that the other side may be coming to them with revised contract language to protect their businesses, the property owners and property managers. So I don't think this is something that you can listen to and say, I hear attorney Ferguson, but I don't think I need to do anything on my end. You need to be prepared for the fact that the other side is likely going to be making some changes on their end. And you need to be reviewing those contracts very carefully to make sure that it doesn't put you in a real unfair position uh, should one of these pandemic uh, second wave or a different issue arise. Mm hmm. OK, so I'm a contractor and I'm listening to the podcast and I say, wow, you know, Tony Ferguson makes some really great points. What is my next step then? You know, should I be contacting my attorney? Should I be uh, kind of looking at my contract to see where this language would best fit in? Uh, again, sh should I be reaching out to you? Yeah. I mean, again, at, at, at its baseline, you, you need to be looking at your contract yearly regardless. Mm -hmm. um, the contract is going to feel different every year based on things that have happened to you as a business and things that have happened in our world. So I can promise you when you read through your contract now, post pandemic, you're going to see things that jump out at you. Um, and so the question becomes, are you able to identify and correct those internally or do you need to reach outside? Um, and so if you see a red flag issue or you're unsure about it, but, um, reach out to counsel. That's certainly something that uh, I, I can handle and I handle on a, on a, a very routine basis for contractors throughout the United States and happy to talk about that with anyone that wants to reach out. 
Fantastic. Hey, one last question. You know, we talked a lot about the, uh, un, you know, with your contract language with regard to the unknowns um, um, related to uh, COVID. And um, I know the last two winners, contractors, for the most part, have been disappointed because we've, we're coming off two seasons of a really, you know, for them, inclement weather where it was a warm winter, low events, you know, higher temperatures. Um, could they also approach addressing weather conditions um, with the same mindset that they're approaching, um, uh, you know, the unknowns with um, COVID? Sure. There are a lot of mechanisms and creative ways in which contractors are protecting themselves. Obviously, we've seen a lot of pricing term switches over the years regarding seasonal contracts mm -hmm. um, and then high, high, low caps. There are certainly options within that to protect and ensure an income stream, um, and then there there are there are ways to protect yourself um, on on the back end in terms of uh, the force majeure or you know active guy. We had a stretch where we were worried about um, a lack of the icing material, right? And and we incorporated more specific language um, in the in the contracts as a result of that. So these contracts. Um, like your companies are, are li living and breathing and changing based on what we see happen um, in the world. And so it needs to be something that you are addressing on at least a yearly basis. Mm -hmm. I know I said one last question, but I lied. I actually have one, one last question here. How about if you go to approach this, either you're approaching your clients or your clients are approaching you about, you know, re-looking at the contracts before the start of winter. And, and you begin this discussion and actually the property owner or manager hands you, maybe even for the first time, a version of the snow contract they want to use. How do, how do you approach this? What's the things you should be looking out for to make sure your, your best interests are uh, being protected when the contract's actually coming from the other party? Sure. Obviously, we like to be signing contracts that are on what we call our paper. Mm -hmm. your contract that has your favorable language. Um, but being handed a contract from the other side doesn't end the conversation. That's where you should be negotiating all those terms. Mm -hmm. Some of the things we specifically talked about today for sure, but one of the typical highlights that we hit are the scope of work language to make sure that's fair and clearly defined mm -hmm. and the defense and indemnity language and make sure that's fair and clearly defined. Um, so you should be negotiating in there. In addition, you as the snow and ice management expert should be considering not only taking a pen to their contract, but be asking them, uh, saying, you as the snow and ice management professional would like to attach an addendum to the contract to more properly define the scope of services that will be performed, because after all, you are the snow and ice management expert. And so we often use that as a negotiation tactic to attach our scope of work as an exhibit to the contract, and then in there incorporate some of the protective liability limiting language that you already have in your base agreement. And we find that's the way we're most successful in getting terms into a contract versus trying to add them into their original language.